Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforumc.org. Phones to silent, doors to cross-check, hold on to your hats. This is Five Yard Rush, your fantasy football podcast, with your hosts, Stocks, Sparky, Murph and Nick. Hey, what's happening Rush Nation? Welcome to the second show of this week. Now, we did promise three, mention it in our Insta story, but unfortunately life got in the way and it's only going to be two, but that's because we've got some monsters next week, so we don't want to hit you with monsters two weeks in a row because we might knock you all off your feet. Murph and I again, big man, how are you? Yeah, really good, thanks, mate. Uh really busy you say life's kind of got in the way this week um but it's all it's all good and uh yeah i just uh still a bit of a high from tuesday's podcast we've received a lot of uh, fantastic feedback so thanks very much to all those that have dropped us uh messages on facebook and dms and uh, retweets and just comments and text messages we've had and uh really blown away by some of the love we've got it's amazing to get a guy like mark on there's plenty more in the pipeline if some of you people that have sent out wonderful feedback, please, if you could do us a favor and write us an iTunes review, they've kind of stalled. Uh, we were doing really well for a while. And I think they've kind of stalled now. So if you get a chance, go on there, write us a review. We'd really appreciate it. It helps get uh, even more of these guests on. Yeah. And there's still patches available as well. So you wouldn't. Nice. Do you know how many we got left? Uh, I think we've got seven left. Ooh, so, so the yeah. first seven people to write a review, get a patch. Exactly that. Times. I don't even have one, so... Oh, well, well, let's call it six and I'll give you one. 
<laughs> I was going to say, I don't mind. I don't mind giving it up for a review if someone's going to write a review. But just know they're that exclusive that I don't even have one. And to be fair, if we give seven away, I won't have one either. <laughs> well, there you go. I'm all right for giving them away. Um, so, yeah. Right. Well, we won't give them away. Right, Rush Nation, today's show, we're going to hit you with a little bit of news because there's a couple of bits come out recently that are fairly important. And then Murph and I are going to hit you with what we consider to be the fancy relevance of the draft. We're going to run through it in order they were picked and draft order, uh, round order, sorry. And we're going to probably get to end of round three today, hopefully, and then the rest next week. Is that right, Murph? Got that that sounds there. right. We're going to see how time goes um, as as we as we talk, but the, the plan is to try and get to round three. But if we do have to cut, there is a bit of a time limit here um, that we will, we will cut um, and we'll pick everything else up. But... Um, I think there's a lot of I found the exercise personally useful and so I'm looking forward to talking about it and hoping you guys find it useful too yeah oh and on that Murph after all the stuff you've written it's going to be live on our website well I say our website it's like an interim chock under the wheel waiting for the big van to roll backwards website yeah that's correct so we we've gone to work this week you know we've been working on a website for a while I say we, we you've been working on getting a website launched for uh, a while um and we just for whatever reason it's just not quite sort of happened yet um it's something still in the pipeline we will get there um but what we thought we would do is we'd uh start sort of an interim page and then this is actually quite good for us because it gives us some feedback from you guys and um to see what you really like and what you don't like so we can post relevant information so the web address in we'll tweet it out on monday that's when it's going to go fully live is five yard rush dot weebly which is w-e-e-b-l-y dot com so it's five yard rush dot weebly dot com so it's kind of in a blog sort of stage but there's going to be the podcast on there there's going to be some articles on there this will be the first one that we publish and there's going to be another monster that we publish a week after that as well yeah that is a word just over well it's over ten thousand words let me put it that way it is a beast <laughs> it's taken us four months to put together um but it's kind of a passion project of a pair of ours and uh, yeah, some final tweaks to be made, but we're almost ready to to launch it. But we'll also launch this in a few other places as well and we'll tweet those links out. So um, get reading on this. it give you a bit more information than what we talked through on the podcast and yeah, uh, give us some feedback as always. Right, Murph, let's do some news. I'm going to start. You can do the middle bit because it's pretty much all about Tampa Bay Buccaneers and then I'll finish up with the end and we'll hit the rankings. Well, rankings, you know what I mean. Right, let's start off in Seattle. Doug Baldwin and Cam Chancellor have both been cut by the Seahawks due to injuries. As a result, who knows where their future lies in the NFL. Doug Baldwin appears to be pretty banged up and it wouldn't surprise me if he retires. Um, I'm not sure about Cam Chancellor. Yeah, it's a strange one, this, because I thought, you know, that we, we kind of heard some news a few weeks ago that Doug Baldwin was going to retire and then the Seahawks sort of said, well, you know, we'll let him decide what he wants to do. Uh, this almost points to me at the suggestion he doesn't want to retire. Because I think if he was going to retire, I think the Seahawks would let him retire. Um, so there must have been some form of conversation to say that he, he's going to try and play on, which that's down to him, but the Seahawks don't want part of it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But uh, and same with Chancellor, both terrific players. But, you know, if you're not fit, the Seahawks are in a bit of a win-now mode. They need to make that space free and uh, bring on board new blood. Yeah, for sure. Now, we mentioned this next bit with the Vikings and Carl Rudolph in extension talks. However, it's broken down, apparently, and there's a high chance now that Rudolph is getting traded. He's already been shopped by the Vikings. This came out yesterday or the day before. And Irv Smith Jr. looks like likely now to be the number one tight end in, 
in Minnesota there, Murph. I, you know, we've been talking about this. Titans don't usually pop year one coming out of college in the NFL. Ingram over at New York's probably the exception in recent history that I can remember. And fancy-wise, Irv Smith, unless they target him heavenly, isn't really going to be. But what do you think about Rudolph? Where do you think he's going to end up if he gets traded? It could be anywhere. I mean, the thing is, whenever these sorts of things come out, are they really shopping him or is it just a case of, where where he might go, I don't really know. I, there's part of me that thinks he doesn't go. There's part of me that thinks he could stay. The other part of me thinks that he could get traded to somewhere like New England. Everyone's sort of, whenever there's a tight end on the market, it's New England, New England, because of uh, what they're doing. But they've just signed Ben Watson yesterday out of retirement, which is a piece of news, which I've actually left off the sheet, but might as well bring it up that he's uh, signed with New England. Um, so I don't know, to be honest. I don't think there's going to be a huge market for him. I look at... Rudolph and what he's done and the amount of cap that he's on, I can't really see who really has a go at him, personally. Well, that hurts because I've just drafted Irv Smith in a couple of places <laughs> to be my tight end one because I got uh, got in a little spot of bother in a 14-league team and got on the wrong side of the tight end train and there's literally no... I'll tell you who is left, though. My boy Chris Herden's left, so I might have to plug him in as my tight end one, which is exciting and devastatingly scary at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think I think uh, this will, will, you know, if he's the if he's the one there as a tight end, he'll do all right. Um, I think the point about tight ends is, you know, historically they've never done well. You mentioned Ebron. Ebron only really did as well as he did because of um, the fact that OBJ and Sterling Shepard both went down, and there was no one else to really throw the ball to um, out there. So, I th- you know, I th- the thing you have got to set your expectation levels at with someone like Irv Smith, year one, Noah Fant, year one, CJ Hawkinson, year one. You might get one of those guys sneak into the top 12, but you know there won't be more than that. But if you're someone who, similar to me in my line of thinking, you don't massively value the position, he carries upside. So you could probably get in quite cheap, uh, stock your positions in other areas and, and use your draft stock in that way. And if you, uh, where you just said you are, the wrong end of the tight end train, sleep on it and then pick him up. And then if he does what you expect him to do, great. And if he doesn't, you'll probably just pick up another one like a Chris Herndon or someone like that. Uh, there's always someone that breaks out that you get on the waiver wire. I have picked up someone every single year on the waiver wire who has done me the job. Well, I'm going to have to because I'm definitely the wrong side of that train. And there's literally Irv Smith and our boy Chris Herndon left. And Chris Herndon, if you are listening, you know we represent here on the podcast and you want to sign us a shirt and send it a new one. It doesn't even have to be the new Jets shirt. Just, just the old one will do, but we'll put it on the wall of fame. Maybe Corey Davis can can drop off because he's absolutely murdering me everywhere. I've still got loads of love for the boy, but I'm not sure why. I, <laughs> I just don't think he's going to even make my main dynasty team this year. So, But anyway, moving on. Ziggy Ansah has signed a deal with the Seahawks for on a one-year deal. Did you hear that? Yeah. A pigeon just flew into the door. <laughs> <laughs> this bit's got to stay in. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely <laughs> So after the pigeon interruption, Ziggy Ansa has signed a deal with the Seahawks on a one-year. That, I imagine if that was a Seahawk, that would have been incredible. Anyway, um, yeah, he signed with the Seahawks on a one-year deal and is clearly replacing Frank Clark. Yeah, it's a good signing to see what he's got. Obviously, he's had some injury concerns, so you can see what you've got left on a prove-it deal and, and see if it works out. Uh, to get him this late in free agency, pretty pretty good going, and he doesn't go against your compensatory picks uh, allowance, so... That's always good. So, yeah, good signing from the Seahawks. As always, they're very shrewd with their business, and this is another signing that, that goes with that mould. Oh, for sure. Right, Murph, fire those cannons. Let's get down to Tampa. Let's talk about Gerald McCoy. Over to you. Yeah, it's, it's sort of three bits of news that have come out of uh, Tampa this week. 
the first is uh, on Cinco de Mayo, which for those who don't know is the 5th of May in Spanish. And it's a big sort of Mexican holiday that kind of plays a big part in the, uh, in the US now, um, given sort of the nationalities and diversity there. Uh, basically, he used Cinco de Mayo as a um, a way of putting out an Insta story to have a shot at the press who have questioned his commitment and questioned him as a professional. So he said, Cinco de Mayo, everybody out, probably getting ready to drink, probably drinking right now. No matter, you want to question me, see what I do on Cinco de Mayo. I work, I work. I've got I've got my kids with me. How many people do that? All pro on and off the field. Want to question me. Is he going to be ready? Does he love football? What? You're crazy. You're lost mind. Uh, lost your mind. I work. Don't ever question me. So he clearly is annoyed that because he didn't go to voluntary workouts, people are questioning him. It's the first time he's not been to voluntary workouts with the Buccaneers, but he's clearly working hard. Um, it's just the way it is. It's obviously difficult. He's got such a big cap money, uh, figure, $13 million against the cap. The Buccaneers have a bit of a cap situation where they're tight on cap. They can release him for nothing with no cap penalty. So there's a lot of talk of do they do that or see what happens. Does he get traded? A lot of talk on that at the moment. It's a wait and see, but clearly McCoy sort of had enough. And I think this is a, a statement to people to say we need to get the situation sorted uh, sooner rather than later. The Bucks did add a new player, they did uh, Cohen Williams, running back. So he was with Detroit and he got released uh, last week. Uh, so he signed again a one-year private deal with the Buccaneers. So he didn't have to wait too long. So he now becomes part of a four-person backfield. Um, again, I don't think it's a player that challenges Ronald Jones, but it's also a player that Arians had under his control with uh, the Cardinals. So again, it, it's going with this coaching on the field with players he's familiar with who know his system. So... Um, he picked Andre Ellington up, and now he's picked Kerwin Williams up. So he's, I clearly think he's going to use those to be the the two that coach Ronald Jones and uh, Peyton Barber on the system uh, and get a bit of money. Uh, and the last piece was, I think, I don't know if we reported this, that JPP had been in a car accident. It came out that he appeared to be fine. However, it's turned out he's actually suffered a fractured vertebrae. Uh, initial reports from Adam Schefter said he was going to miss the season. Uh, but JPP is elected not to have surgery on this. Um, so he should be out until the end of October, provided that the vertebrae heals on its own. So three doctors will review the vertebrae after four months to see if it's healed. And if it has, he can return to training and get up to game speed. So a uh, bit of a blow because this news came out two hours after I drafted him in an, IP, in an IDP league. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it meant I've drafted some cover and I didn't drop him. And it looks like he could be back for the business end of the season, which is uh, never a bad thing. The Bucks have got their bye week in, in October. So that's an extra week they can kind of buy. So he could be there uh, for week eight, week nine, maybe even week 10. And then he's still there for the business end of the season. So uh, it provided everything kills okay. I would uh, just like to point out, Rush Nation, that a hailstorm has come over the studio. I don't know if you can hear this, mouth, but it is crazy, crazy hailstones, which is probably bouncing all over the roof and off the windows and the door in the studio. So I'd like to apologise if you get machine gun fire from my end. We can't hear it, so oh, I can't it, hear it. So that's just let you in, that Rush Nation, that we're not filming uh, in the yeah. studio. Uh, that's my fault. A few things to do around the house. Um, so oh, just... no, don't, 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 you know, don't put yourself down. You've got more liquid and out of your carpet washer thing that I've ever seen in my life. Whatever <laughs> came out of you, I mean, it didn't come out of it. It wasn't like it was wet. You used the carpet cleaner, but four buckets or whatever is an impressive go. So, don't put a, lot of, 
a lot of stuff. So, yeah, it's trying now. So we'll see what happens. But no hail here, just raining. Uh, so that was your five-yard rush weather report, and we'll get back to the news. <laughs> <laughs> now over to uh, Lindsay at the news desk. No, I'm joking. So uh, after the Rams signed Last Chance U star Dakota Allen with the Mr. Irrelevant pick, the Raiders have picked up Last Chance U's Ronald Ollie. The Raiders signed Ollie as an undrafted free agent on Monday. Aaron Wilson of the Houston Chronicle was reported. Ollie joins the Raiders following a success- successful minicamp tryout. He's 6'2", 310 pounds, defensive tackle. He posted really impressive numbers at his pro day. Obviously, for Nichols State. So if you've heard of them, well done you. And he ran the 40 in 4.87, which is fairly impressive for somebody who wastes twice what I No, just under twice what I do, which I can't even run it that fast. That's, yeah, it's very, very, very quick. Yeah, I, it's frighteningly. I mean, if he ran at me, I'm just going to move out the way. If he wants to get to the quarterback and I'm, you know, all yours, carry on. I don't want to die here. He, he was brilliant at the last chance of the year as well. He was really one of the stars of that season. And, uh, yeah, incredible um, to see him in the NFL, whether we actually see him play, that's something else. But, yeah, it's going to be uh, going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, but not the only addition that the Raiders have, uh, are making this week. They've also signed uh, free agent guard Richie Incognito. Yes, they have. So we've we've heard for the last few weeks about uh, bringing character guys into the building. Um, they took Fle- uh, Clennon Farrell because they loved the character on the guy. Uh, they bought in uh, all these high character guys in the draft, and then they're going to sign somebody who, um, on more than a few occasions, has been accused of bullying, uh, intimidation, um, threatening to harm people, racism. Um, so, yeah, he's really that high character kind of caliber guy that you really want on your roster and in your room. And to partner him with uh, Vontae Perfect, that's uh, going to be interesting. I can now hear the hail, by the way. <laughs> it's gone mental. It's like uh, the Game of Thrones. This winter's coming. <laughs> I don't get it. It's all coming on. This pod's off the rails already. We've, we've, got... <laughs> right, we've got to the news. Yeah, we have got some news. Uh, if you could hear it through the uh, house cleaning and weather report, well done you. Let's move on to what we do best, and that's fantasy football. Here's some fantasy implications from the draft. I didn't want to start in the first pick with Kyler Murray, but they drafted him number one overall, so let's get into it. So with the, do you want me to do the first, or would you like to do the first, Murph? Uh, you kick it off, my man. Yeah, that's true, because... Daniel Jones is next, and we all know how about you feel about Daniel Jones. So at one, indeed, Kyler Murray. Rosen finally got traded to Miami. It is clear that Kyler's team to run. Sorry, it's clearly Kyler's team now after Murray got traded. They drafted Murray, but they also signed three wide receivers. We're going to touch on these a little later. If we touch on them now, it will blow the order completely out of sync, and I won't know where I am. They've proven they're all in on Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray, the Arizona Cardinals. The Heisman Trophy winner has got a good arm. He is really mobile and fast. His final season, he passed for 4,300 yards and also rushed for over 1,000 yards and 12 rushing TDs. That's that's good for fantasy football. Really, really good. <laughs> His rushing upside, Murray will go high in rookie drafts. I've seen him go as, well, he went as the 101 in the two quarterback and he's going at the end of the first in the standard redraft league, uh, dynasty league, sorry. I, I think... If you're going to consider him in redraft or a startup dynasty, I think he has to be a backup quarterback. But he's got upside of Pat Mahomes due to his baseball background. I'm not sure he's as good as Pat Mahomes, but then he could be. And if he does what Pat Mahomes does, then NFL quarterbacks are changing, and they will continue to change. And we won't we 
it will be the evolution of the quarterback we're witnessing. So we should be quite consider ourselves lucky that we are getting to witness the change of the NFL if that occurs. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, that's how you got to look at it. Is he someone that you would have as a backup to your starter who can come in and, and do some things? And similar to Pat, Pat Mahomes, Pat Mahomes was going typically in redraft leagues. He was going, I think, somewhere around about the 12th. 12th to 15th round um, sometimes and sometimes undrafted so um, I'm not saying that he's going to have the same career and you are as as Pat Mahomes but he's someone who has got that kind of upside with the arm and and the rushing ability so he's worth drafting it's just about don't take him too early don't take him as this um, savior of your your team they're far better quarterbacks in there Uh, we don't massively advocate taking a quarterback early in in draft so um, I'd be waiting until that round 12 to 15. If if someone goes ahead and takes Kyler beforehand, then especially in a redraft, good luck to them and chin up. Um, because we saw it with Baker Mayfield, although he had a great year last year, he wasn't statistically a top 10 quarterback. Sam Darnold, the same. These guys are going to be brilliant, but it takes a long time to learn the position. Very rarely does a rookie come in and absolutely smash it. So he will be relevant, but I don't think he's the most relevant. So... I'll move on to someone who's going to be less relevant, and that's going to be Daniel Jones. I don't actually have a personal problem with Daniel Jones. I think Daniel Jones is, you know, other than the fact he was a little boring in his interview and he, he kind of stood up um, and did his post-draft interview like he um, had been accepted onto an accounting course. Um, but that's what some guys are like. So some guys don't carry charisma, and I don't think Daniel does, and it's not one of his straights. But he he is, uh, you know, a heck of a quarterback. He's a good player. I mean, he did look very shocked when he was drafted at six. I think he'll tell you that he was kind of expecting it, but I I don't necessarily believe that. There's a ton of calls as to whether or not he should start week one. There's been some reports that he could start week one. I don't buy it. I think that the organization are behind Eli. They've they've drafted the least threatening guy to Eli Manning, his friend and, and someone who's been under the same stewardship as him and someone he can relate to. So... I don't. I don't think that you're going to see Daniel Jones start. Um, Dave Gettleman what, uh, sort of alluded that Eli could start for the next three years. I don't believe that either. I mean, it could very well happen that Eli could be moved aside towards the end of the season. Um, but I don't see Daniel Jones probably throwing much this season. You remember the last time that Eli was dropped um, and was another quarterback was bought in the coach got fired. So um, I don't think you're going to see uh, Daniel Jones too much this year. So he's someone that I don't think is going to hold a lot of value um, in redrafts. I wouldn't touch him in rookie drafts. I probably wouldn't touch him uh, if you're playing in a three round, if you're playing in a five round, I'd probably draft him maybe towards the end and just see what you get. Um, those fifth round picks are always just guys with some potential and Daniel Jones might have that. I mean, if he has the sort of career that Eli Manning has, there'll be some relevance to him. It just won't be the one guy that um, you would necessarily want, but there'll be something to him. But I think in most leagues, he will probably go undrafted. There's just far more depth for the quarterback position than ever. So I would personally pass this year in all formats, but listen, see what happens. Um, if you want to take a chance, you could probably get him very late in a dynasty startup. I've seen him undrafted in a lot of dynasty startups. So if you really believe in the guy, then you could probably get him in the last two rounds um, to, to just take him um, and have him there. And if he doesn't work out, you stick him in your taxi squad, you dump him and you get a new quarterback next year. 
I drafted him <laughs> out of panic, really, because <laughs> <laughs> in a super flex league, and I only drafted two quarterbacks and then realised that I needed a third and drafted Drew Locke. <laughs> Got me in a spot of bother because I realised I should have drafted Flacco first and then Drew Locke. So then I drafted Daniel Jones, forgetting about Flacco again. <laughs> so then I had to then draft Flacco. Oh, man, I had an absolute nightmare. It was, it was terrible. Yeah. I think that was the whole reason why I took three top 12 quarterbacks in the top eight picks was just to really drown the market and just cause some major panic and chaos, which I loved because when everyone was having to draft quarterbacks, I could then get the players at better value than I was kind of expecting to draft in those spots. So it was quite funny because I was on the 101, although I traded the 101 in that league. Um, I was just getting to dictate a lot of the trends. (laughs) So you're welcome. (laughs) <laughs> I don't remember actually if I drafted three quarterbacks. I got Matt Ryan. Did I draft Jameis Winston and then somebody else? And then I think I've only got no. I think I went about this completely the wrong way. Let's move on. Number eight, the Lions took TJ Hawkinson. Now, let's be real here. It's only the fifth time in the last thirty years that a tight end has gone in the top ten pick. So it doesn't happen often. So when you invest draft capital like this, it needs to work out. And it is for the second time in four years, out of five of drafting a tight end in the first year of the Lions. So <laughs> Eric Ebron was a bust. People said he didn't catch touchdowns. And now all of a sudden there he is over in Indianapolis pounding the red zone. The biggest concern with Hawkinson is that Matt Stafford has never really loved his tight ends. Let's see. Let's see if TJ, he's going to start week one and he's got some value, but mostly because of the tight end market being absolutely dire. Now in a redraft league, he's not really worth anything higher than the 13th round flyer. And that's because there are other people like our boy Chris Herndon, who we know, can produce I just think he's going to go higher than that and we've seen it recently because people are overvaluing rookies and TJ Hawkinson yes he's going to start in Detroit but is he going to provide you with the numbers that already like Vance McDonald let's say for instance Hawkinson's going before Vance McDonald and I know which one I'd rather have the Steelers tight end in a Big Ben system as opposed to the Lions tight end like we just mentioned Stafford doesn't like his tight ends so it's not you know we're not going to expect big numbers in year one but he could fall into the touchdown or bust realm and he might even become completely unplayable in the tight end streamers market. Yeah, that, that, I think that's exactly it. I think he's someone that when he sees the field, he'll be used more as a blocker than an actual option. Um, just He'll be a touchdown or bust guy. I mean, if he starts picking up touchdowns and he becomes value, but I don't think he gets the yardage to, to carry him through to be a relevant option week to week. Yeah, let's, let's you know, he's got the skills to do so. He proved it at Iowa, but... I'm not sure he's going to get that opportunity at the Lions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's a wait and see. I mean, listen, if you're a gambler like any of these, you really like the player, um, you you should always go and get your guy. Um, if it doesn't work out, it's on you. you. You've got to play the game how you want to see fit. This is generalist advice. This is uh, part of what we would do and part of what, what we've seen in the drafts that we've been in. And TJ Hawkinson is going far too high to justify a sixth seventh round pick when you could be picking up um players in that realm you know really solid rb3 on your roster but you're picking up rb2 talent uh wide receiver two talent you'll be get you'll be getting there is is you know tj hawkinson going to be better value than say a mike williams or let's use some of the examples of players that went in the draft we were using you know if you're looking at the rounds where you you got Corey Davis, okay, probably not the best example. Uh, Miles Sanders, Dave Montgomery will get to. Um, Alan Robinson, the one in Chicago. Uh, Robbie Anderson, the one in the Jets. 
Mike Williams, we mentioned, Cortland Sutton, Sterling Shepard, Dante Pettis. These are all players going around where we've seen TJ Hawkinson go. So, uh, Jarrett McKinnon, Vance McDonald went high in this draft for some reason, which was crazy. But um, they're the sort of players you want to see. Um, even Calvin Ridley, you can probably get around this range as well. So, yeah, that's worth considering. Okay, I'll take Dwayne Haskins. So, big surprise for me on the night when he fell to 15. Washington stayed and got their man, which was, um, which was you know, amazing for them. And there's some positive and negative news for Haskins here. I mean, the positive is he's, he's more than likely going to be the starter day one. But it is in a Washington you know, defense that isn't really known for being prolific um, under Jay Gruden. They've got um, some really good production players, or they've had them, but they never really seem to do the job, or there's always injuries, or there's always something that's kind of in the way. The other concern with Haskins, despite his arm abilities, he's really going to have a lack of weapons to aim at there. Um, and again, it's in an offensive scheme that's not really known for huge fantasy numbers, especially in the passing game. Haskins also only has one year of college production. So whilst it was elite, it wasn't really a lot to judge on. He's not very mobile. He's not really a runner. So he's not going to have that safe floor that like a Josh Allen did towards the tail end of last year, that if you were picking him up for potential playoffs, um, Josh Allen was getting you points. He was ending up in the RB, you know, in a QB3, QB, like the, the ranked QB3 or four of a week because of that running floor. And Haskins isn't going to have that. So we haven't actually done a full rankings list yet, and we will do in the next few weeks, but I can't imagine Haskins being in my top 20 quarterbacks for this year. So as a result, he's really a late-round flyer, sort of what we said about Murray, but perhaps even lower than Murray in terms of, of a, a redraft. But he's probably worth a second or, or third-round pick in rookie dynasty drafts, unless, of course, it's a super flex. He's probably worth a little more than that. But it also depends on your situation. If you're really desperate for a guy, then he might be one worth picking up. But... Haskins, I think, is going to be a good player in this league. I think he's got a good future, but I wouldn't be expecting really amazing numbers uh, year one, you know, maybe even year two. It depends what happens with Jay Gruden as well and what happens with that team this year, but I don't really like who he's got to throw to and I don't think there's... I think it's going to be a bit of a gap. Fair. I'll move on to number 20. I mean, uh, I've put Murph in a tight end sandwich. I've got no fan. Now, there's no getting away from it. This guy is a podcast favourite. He's an elite athlete with combine skills really seeming the guy of this size, I mean, ever. I think his spark skill is, score, sorry, is one of the top 10 in the last 30 years or something. It's ridiculous. But as a result, he's got the potential to be a stud. And I'm really pleased because he's at the Broncos. The new Broncos tight end had a ridiculous passer rating when he was targeted at Iowa. And we're talking about 131.2. So that's roughly around the same as Lockett and... uh, Russell Wilson had last season and everyone knows how that went and he's going to be catching from Joe Flacco who he's turned average tight ends into fantasy football studs he loves a tight end and he's going to love fan fan's talent profile means he could have an incredible career but I just don't know if if he's going to get you know, especially when Drew Locke turns up is he going to then be targeted as much as Flacco's going to use him who knows don't expect a year Year one explosion, I think it's going to take him at least a year to get into the system, but he's going to play a lot. And because we've got, we've only got Jeff Hyman now because Matt Lacoste went over to the Patriots. They might do tight end, two tight end sets, but he's going to have to learn how to block in order to see the field all the time. And seeing as Joe Flacco is statuesque, one of his main goals is going to be keeping him up, right? 
Fant doesn't block as well as Hawkinson, which is probably why he didn't go at eight, but he could well make the top 15 of Titans this year. He's got a ton of upside, and in Dynasty, he's worth picking up around the ninth or tenth round in startups and probably second round in rookie drafts. And if, if you're desperate, even the back end of round one, depending on your needs, I think he's definitely a backup tight end in redraft. And Josh has absolutely snapped him up absolutely everywhere. So if he doesn't go off, perfect. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, again, it goes back to situation talent-wise is there. But again, it takes time to learn learn the position. You know, people, I think the thing is, we've talked about him for so long and how great he's going to be as a player. I think people who listen to the podcast like Josh assume he's going to be the next uh, Travis Kelsey almost immediately out of the blocks. And tight end is a very difficult position to learn because it's not just learning routes and, and passing. It's learning situations. It's learning blocking. It's learning different schemes. In fact, it's it's an incredibly difficult position to, to play um, because half your job isn't actually catching the ball. It's about reading the situations, about putting in blocks. It's about giving your being on such a page with your quarterback that you can always give him an option to to go to and to sort of almost bail him out when, when nothing else is on. And I think that's the the real difficulty. So I think Fant is going to be an elite tight end player for sure. I just don't really see him year one putting up monster numbers. He could be the one that scrapes into the top 12 and be technically a tight end one. Heck of a gamble, um, but could be worth it. And, you know, I, I would be treating him as a backup in most cases. Um, but you know, we, we've said nine to 10 round in, in startup leagues. Again, we're seeing him go much higher than that. So if you want to get him, he's probably going around six to seven. And I think that could be a tad high. Again, think of your value. Think about how you want to construct your team. But if you really want the guy, that's probably where you're going to have to go to get him. I'm going to take who I think is probably the number one offensive player in this draft by sort of the skill position. And that's Josh Jacobs, who was taken by Oakland with the 24th pick. This landing spot um, has really only cemented that belief for me. Uh, He didn't participate at the combine due to injury, but he put up pretty decent numbers at his pro day. Nothing really sort of blew him away. um, But what really stands out for Jacobs is, you know, he competed for a spot and got the majority of the playing time at the deepest college roster in the country, which is Alabama, uh, playing in the toughest division, which is the SEC of college football. So he didn't put up as many yards as uh, Damien Harris, who we'll get to. But, you know, 640 yards last year doesn't seem very impressive. But in all three of his years in college, he had well over five yards per carry. Um, and he also rushed in 11 touchdowns last year and caught three more, which, considering yardage, he became a, a real big threat. He also is relatively fresh, doesn't have the, the same tread on tires as Bell Cow backs from college, who had... 300 for you know 300 plus yard uh, carry attempts per year so he he's never had more than 120 carries in the season but the the thing that really stands out is the opportunity there he walks into Oakland as the one there's no competition there there isn't anybody that's going to stop him from getting carries he is going to walk in and sometimes you have to look at the opportunity over the talent in this case both kind of marry up perfectly you've got a really talented running back you could argue whether it was worth drafting in the first round or not. And that's a debate for, for other people at other times. But at the end of the day, he's there now. They've invested high capital in him and they haven't bought in another real solid running back to, to give him any competition. So for me, in rookie drafts, he's probably going to be the 101 or the 102 in 90% of the drafts. That other 10% will probably be super flex, as you mentioned, where it might be Murray dipping in there. But 
it's it's going to be him or someone we're going to mention in a couple of picks time. So he is a third round dynasty startup player for me um, in rounds three to five for redraft, depending on the value of the position for you. He's not a Saquon Barkley, so he's not going to be the same level of success. Um, so I wouldn't expect that. Uh, I mean, the Raiders were pretty terrible running the ball, and I've watched on Gruden offenses enough to know that he's not going to run them in the same way that, say, New York did last year. But that's the caution, but more upside than caution there. So draft him in rounds three, four. I doubt he gets to five, but in a couple of instances, I've seen it. So uh, if you really like the player, you like the situation, you, you want to get this guy. Um, but keep in mind, John Gruden is not the biggest fantasy football fan and he could uh, he could mess you up a little bit. Um, I've never known him to have really successful rushes uh, over his course as a coach from what I've seen. Yeah, he definitely prefers the wide receiver, I think, over the running back. And, and Jacob's value this year is way too high for me. I just don't want any slice of that pie at all. Right, I'm moving on to Baltimore's new wide receiver one. That's Marquise Hollywood-Brown. He was taken at 25, like I said, by the Ravens. He was the first wide receiver off the board in 2019. And this isn't a surprise considering the tape from college, but that's pretty much where the optimism ends. The landing spot is it's pretty much a nail in your cot, the last nail in the coffin, considering he came in with no nails. They've just got that gun out and gone douche, 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 and destroyed Marquise Hollywood-Brown's fantasy value. Sure, he's playing at the Ravens, and he is the one, but then you've got Lamar Jackson, who Murph says can't throw a football. I'm positively playing that he's learning currently how to throw a football. He's been compared a lot to John Brown, and John Brown was great with the Ravens last year, but he was great with the Ravens last year when Joe Flacco was their quarterback. You know, they should have gone for... I say should. They were expected to go for a wide receiver of size along DK Metcalf's line, but they went for the speedster. They had this beast in John Brown, so they could have probably kept him and then gone DK and got, you know, the beast over the top and then John Brown who could burn people. But his Hollywood nicknames come around as a result of 2,413 yards and 17 touchdowns on 132 catches from 2017. A remarkable 18.3 yards per catch, which means he's a dynamic big play guy, but he doesn't have the Mayfield or Murray throwing him. So whether or not he gets in on those jet sweeps or end arounds, that's pretty much the only way he's going to get decent yardage. He's got the pace to do that, but I just think there should be caution when drafting him. He's going to be a second round pick in rookie drafts. And if you're doing startup, don't touch him inside the first eight rounds because there's proven talent already. Not sure in redraft he's going to be drafted unless you're chasing huge upside. If you've got studs locked in who are going to give you that baseline safe floor, you could possibly draft him and hope he reaches the stars. But you know, if he's on the watch list on your waiver wires, then that's great. But if you're going to grab him, tread with caution. Yeah, exactly that. Just don't, you know, if you've got studs at the position and you want to take a punt on someone late, great. I think someone is going to take him far too high in most drafts. There's always someone that buys too much into the draft. Um, I think in last year, I saw the amount of times DJ Moore, um, Calvin Ridley, which probably didn't work out too bad for some people. There's always going to be that guy, though, isn't there, that, that blows up. And, you know, OBJ in 2014, is it? Yeah. But, but you say that. Like, last year, Calvin Ridley was was decent, but he was at best uh, a boom or bust, and he was a, a wide receiver, too, in the end, um, purely on the number of touchdowns that he caught. Um, but he was a touchdown or bust player. Yep. Um, but you look at – I'm trying to think who, who was the rookie out of um, Dallas last year. Gallup. Yes. My, it was Gallup, wasn't it? it was Michael, Michael Gallup. Gallup. Yeah. So he he was drafted. I even drafted him in a few places in sort of my last round pick. 
guy did nothing, absolutely nothing of, of relevance last year. Um, Treko Swift didn't do a ton last year. These guys get better with age. Uh, very rarely do you get uh, an, an, an OBJ, a Mike Evans, an AJ Green. And there isn't any of those sort of players in this class. So just be wary about taking any of them too high, regardless of how good the landing spot or the talent is, because I, I don't think you're going to get that production this year. I'm going to move on to another wide receiver. This is Nikhil Harry. Um, Nikhil Harry was drafted by the Patriots with a 32nd pick, the last pick of the first round. He is someone that I think is the other part of the 101-102 combo with uh, Josh Jacobs. I think for me, those two are the standouts in rookie drafts, uh, in a standard rookie draft, PPR rookie draft, whatever, as long as it's not a super flex. They're the standout 101-102 for me. I think after that, there's a teardrop. I think they are the two players in this draft that have the talent um, and everybody else is a little bit behind with the, the landing spot and opportunity to go with it. So he is the complete opposite to Brown um, in the sense of he has this wonderful situation with the Patriots, um, which is great for him and also potentially for fantasy. The Patriots haven't drafted a wide receiver in round one since 1996. So this came as a minor shock. Um, <laughs> although I did mock him to the Pats as early as February and pretty stay consistent with it. Uh, he easily walks into the receiver room as a, a wide receiver too, um, behind Super Bowl MVP Julian Edelman. Um, he collected 2,889 yards um, and 22 touchdowns and 213 car- uh, catches over the last three years with Arizona State. He is a true X receiver. Matt Harmon believes uh, he's really going to thrive in the role um, that Larry Fitz has occupied in the last few years of his career, and that's how he sees the comp working. Um, so clearly one to watch there um the one concern is as with any <laughs> patriots player is that bill belichick uh, doesn't care about your fantasy team and proves time and time again that he will sling the guys to very far down the depth chart um harry is like i said easily in the top two prospects of this rookie class he is worth drafting as high as the sixth to eighth round in dynasty startups as it stands um redraft will be very similar to brown he's worth a late flyer um taking him higher than 12 round for me will yield nothing but disappointment um, just because I think he's got to learn the system. It's a complicated system. They've got so many guys they can use and target and spread the work around. I think Harry is going to be a great player moving forward. Um, I think he, he could even produce some numbers year one, but um, I put him in that touchdown dependent range in year one. And I think it's going to be in future years that he really starts to shine. So just be a bit careful of, of taking him too early. Um, worth a flyer again, similar to Brown. Take him as upside if you don't use him great. In Dynasty, he's well worth picking up. I think he's going to have a great future. Oh, good. I'm glad I took him in the seventh in a standard redraft league now, Murphy. You're making me feel a lot better about myself. Thanks very much. <laughs> there you go. See? No, I, that was a terrible decision. I should not have done that one tiny little bit. Right, that's the first round done. Let's move on to the second round. And with the 36th pick, let's take a look at Debo Samuel. Now, he managed over 900 yards from scrimmage in his final college season and scored 11 touchdowns. He also has big play threat with 16.7 and 14.2 yards per catch in 2017 and 18, respectively. However, unlike Harry, he's unlikely to be the X receiver due to his size and technique off the line. But he can very easily fit in as a flanker receiver and dump off man due to his speed and ability to make men miss. Playing from the slot is his best chance of success and he's got a great landing spot in San Fran for sure. But the big questions will be, Will Jimmy DG dump the ball off to him when he has a guy so critical to their limits of success last year in George Kittle? And how quickly will Debo Samuel develop? 
I mean, they've also got Jarrett McKinnon, who's the perfect catching back. So that even lessens his upside. But given the fact that I don't see Samuel being a guy getting a ton of touchdowns, I'd rather pass on him for some of the other players in the draft. That's not to say he won't have any value, but for me, he's a second, third round pickup in dynasty rookie drafts. And due to the Kyle Shanahan system, he's not worth investing a top 10 round pick in dynasty or in redraft leagues at this stage. But again, star him in your waivers. And if he blows up, grab him early. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I now have got Drew Locke, your guy, uh, your soon-to-be future quarterback. Don't don't say that with such a wry smile. No, how it, dare you? No, I'm serious. I like the guy. I I thought you should. I thought you could have taken him at ten, and I wouldn't have been disappointed. And I think most people expected him to go to the Broncos at ten, but. The Broncos are very smart in the draft. John Elway actually used um, some intelligence, which is something we've not seen in a while. So congratulations to him to trade back from 10 to 20 to get Noah Fan and then to go and get Drew Locke with the 42nd pick. I think it's very smart. There is some concerns over his talent, speed, and movability. But, and that's probably what led to the slide. But I think this makes a perfect match, really, in terms of he's got a great quarterback in Flacco. He can learn behind and someone that he can really develop. And, and John Elway as well, he, he wasn't a bad quarterback when he played in the league, was he? So you've got a good combination there of people to learn from, um, good coaching, um, good ability to to really get to grasp the game. I don't think you're going to see Drew Lock much in 2019 due to the acquisition of Joe Flacco. He does have the potential to be a mid-level QB starter in, in the NFL, which people always take that as a real slight, like that's insulting. I don't think it is. I think if you, if someone said to you right now, you can be the between the 14th and the 18th best quarterback in the NFL, I don't know why you, you wouldn't be happy with that. Obviously, you've got people that will always want to be the best, and, and that's fine. But 14th to 18th uh, quarterback in the, in the league, it's, it's no slight on anybody. Andy Dalton, you know, people sort of laugh at the Dalton scale and everything because he's like the most mediocre average quarterback. But I'd take his paychecks, I'd take his money, and I'd take his success all day long. You know, you... you, you it's not a knock on anybody. He's still in the top 14 to 18 people in the world at what he does. So, <laughs> you know, it, I don't say that with any kind of like laughability or putting anybody down because I mad respect. I think he's going to be a decent quarterback in this game um, for sure. I mean, some of the, some of his best games in college as well came against ranked opposition. I saw this guy quite a lot in Missouri. Uh, he, he wiped the floor with Florida, not once, but twice. So, um, he really likes the big game, and that's the kind of um, spirit that you want in a guy. Um, he's a bit hard to evaluate. I don't think he's worth more than sort of a third, fourth round pick in rookie drafts. Um, and in dynasties, he's going to be worth a late pick. So probably your QB3, QB4 um, on your roster uh, at best. I think if you're taking him as a QB4, I think that's a pretty safe bet. Put him on your taxi squad for a year uh, and let him sit there. I think he's worth evaluating. I, I would take him over Daniel Jones. I wouldn't take him over Haskins and I wouldn't take him over Kyler Murray. But I think for me, he's the third best quarterback in this class. And I think he'll have a solid career. He's definitely not worth drafting in a, in a redraft league unless you're playing in a 16 team plus league um, and you take him as your handcuff, as your backup. But in all other circumstances, I, would, I wouldn't draft him this year because I just don't think he sees, he sees the field this much. You wouldn't invest the capital in Flacco to to just let him sit there and let Drew Lock take the job. I think Drew Lock sits the majority of the year. You might see him week fifteen, week sixteen, week seventeen if the season's done and it's not going too well. But other than that, I think he sits. You see him in twenty twenty. 
Yeah, no, for sure. Right, let's move on to the third tight end that we had ranked. And he was also the third tight end drafted in this class. It's Earth Smith Jr. Got drafted by the Vikings. Now he has all the ability to be a successful tight end in the NFL. Had 44 receptions for 710 yards, and that's 16.1 yards per reception. And he had seven touchdowns in 15 games. 28 receptions gained the first down or scored a touchdown. 11 receptions gained 20 more yards. And he was all SEC second team. Again, similar to Jacobs, he is competing for targets with the best core in the land. He was sat behind OJ Howard in his first year, and we all know how good OJ Howard is. Now, the only concern is 14 receptions for 128 yards in his first two years. And he has come out as a junior, so only one year of production to go on. However, you can expect Irv Smith to take the starting job from Kyle Rudolph, as Rudolph is a cap candidate. And as mentioned on this podcast earlier, he may well get traded. Now, Irv Smith is worth a late second round or high third round pick in rookie drafts. And then he's going to be 14 to 70, somewhere in that range in Dynasty. And in redraft, he's not worth more than a high upside, upside late add. But we don't think he's going to be a top 15 tight end this year. That is unless Kirk Cousins decides to turn him into Jordan Reed. And we know that can happen. But the Vikings have pretty much come out and said, we're going to run, run, run the pool with their new offensive coordinator and the skill position of Dalvin Cook, if he can stay healthy. Let's see how that goes. Awesome. I'm going to take uh, AJ Brown with the uh, 51st pick. This could easily be a copy and paste job for Marquise Hollywood Brown, made easier by the fact they share the same last name. (laughs) Supreme talent, but terrible landing spot for fantasy. Uh, AJ Brown has incredible size, speed, and an unbelievable technique. According to Sports Info Solutions, Brown averaged 8.7 and 7.0 yards after catch per reception over the last two years. Uh, he also lined up in the slot 56% of the time last year, and this is where he was most productive as a receiver. However, he's been drafted by Tennessee, who invested a four-year, $38 million contract in Adam Humphreys, a slot receiver specialist. This is the clearest indication that he won't be playing in the slot um, in one of the five worst pass and play action calling teams in the NFL. This offense outside of Derek Henry has not been relevant in fantasy football for a couple of years, and it's on its fourth new OC in the last four or five years. Also, we all fell for this trick once by investing in Corey Davis, and we're all still waiting for him to break out. I won't be making the same mistake twice. However, if you want to gamble, Brown has an ADP of 155 in Dynasty startups, so that's anywhere in the uh, 15th to sort of 13th to 15th round, depending on how many teams you've got. I think there are others that have much better value uh, in that sort of range. So in that range, you can get a John Brown, who is the one in Buffalo. You can get Traquan Smith, who is the two in New Orleans. You can get Quincy Enumeros, the two in uh, New Jersey. Um, I just would rather have any one of those players over AJ Brown. I just don't see where he is going to be the best fit here. He looks like he's going to play the two uh, in in Tennessee, so you'll have Corey Davis, and then you'll have AJ Brown, then you'll have Adam Humphreys, and that's your one, two, three. I don't see how that works. It's just it's not where he is comfortable. It's not where he's played. He's made the biggest gains of his career, and you're not going to move Humphreys outside, and you haven't paid all that money to then not play him. So I'm just a bit confused all round. And I think AJ Brown, if he'd ended up on an Arizona who were terrible last year, but are clearly reinvesting in offense. If he'd if he'd gone to like Chicago, or he'd, well, probably too high for Chicago, they weren't picking at this stage. But 
you, you know, there are about 10 teams he could have gone to that you would have got really excited about and he would have been well up on my boards, but uh, absolutely not uh, now. I mean, he's likely to go in the second round of rookie drafts. and He might be drafted in the very late rounds in redraft, but he just goes too high for me. I just can't value him there while he's stuck in that offense until they, you know, the, this OC might work out. He might be gone next year. You don't know. Uh, they might get rid of Mariota this year. They might not. We don't know. There's too many question marks in that offense. And until there's a change, I just can't risk putting any significant capital into AJ Brown. No, Mariota might make himself leave by consistently injuring himself again. So let's see how that works out. Right. Now, confession time. I literally have never heard of this guy's name. Is that <laughs> genuinely his name? Drew Sample? Yeah, Drew Sample. That's his name. Okay, fair. Cincinnati, Cincinnati back. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not saying he's not real. I just, this is a sample of... Well, anyway, so we didn't see this one coming, as I just mentioned. It's not worth your capital this high. I mean, at 52nd, the Cincinnati Bengals, I'm not sure what they're doing in their tight end room. It's already pretty stacked. Now, he didn't manage 500 yards in his entire college career and managed just 25 receptions for 252 yards and three touchdowns in his senior year. He managed 21 receptions in his previous three years and just two TDs in his freshman year. His footwork and technique leave a lot to be desired and there just isn't a lot to judge here, if you ask me. To add to all of this, he's landed in a crowded tight end room where he's going to be competing with CJ Uzama and Tyler Eifert for targets and snaps. And when if Tyler Eifert can stay healthy, I mean, that's almost an impossibility. But if he can, then you've got a top five tight end. For me, he's an avoid player in all formats. Expect him to go undrafted everywhere. And some, you know, for us, it's just avoid at all costs. Yeah, just didn't get the pick when it happened. Uh, I've gone back and looked to to see what people have seen. I don't see it. Uh, I'm not a talent evaluator in the NFL, so there's no doubt I've missed quite a few. But um, I just I just don't get it. But anyway, we'll move on to uh, Miles Sanders, who's the tech, second running back taken off the board. He looks like a very talented addition uh, to a team in in need of talent at running back. He does only have one year of production, but that's only because he sat behind Saquon Barkley, the rookie phenom from a year ago. Sanders is a former five-star recruit out of high school. And in his final year in Penn State, Sanders rushed for 1,274 yards, an average of 5.8 yards per carry and nine TDs. He also carried the ball 220 times, which shows he can handle a bell cow workload. He's shown on tape that he does have some fumbling problems, but if he can get this right, he'll be in line for a lot of the workload in Philly. They do have a number of backs, and Coach Pedersen likes to use the committee of backs approach uh, to save workloads for deeper in the season. Miles Sanders, for me, is a top three rookie draft pick. I'd put him at the 103, um, despite all of this, because the size of the opportunity and talent, he will go high. Uh, He will get the majority of the touches. You know, he's not going to be the supreme bell cow there. They will bring in other runners. They they picked up Jordan Howard, for example. He's someone who's going to take touches, but Sanders can be used. He has got to work on those fumbling problems because – Believe me, if if they start trying to pass him the ball and he and he fumbles and he doesn't catch, then you know that work is going to be taken away and that will really diminish his fantasy uh, outputs into what he can achieve. Uh, you'll probably see him going rounds four to eight in dynasty startup leagues, probably higher and you know the higher it goes, um, the sooner you go from the draft. So round now you're probably seeing go between rounds four and six, but as it all starts to settle down, it'll probably be stretching out to seven or eight. You might be able to pick him up. It's probably going to be in a similar range for redraft. Uh, he does have huge upside. Um, if you're doing your dynasty startups, as I said, 
you can expect him to go sooner because the draft is still really fresh in people's minds and they're far more excited about prospects now than they are once uh, rookie training camps and preseason comes around. Yeah, I mean, we picked him up, I think, in round six in our redraft just because it's a 14 team and we needed a, a start two running backs. We needed someone to cover the bye weeks and I think he slides in pretty nice. It's also the first time Philly have had a back that can do all three things really well for for all three downs, sorry, for a long, long time. I mean, they had JJ last year, but he can't stay healthy and he's got worse needs than me. And that is saying something. So Sanders, he could well end up being the bell cow in Philly. We just need to see how that pans out. Now, I just took Drew Sample and I didn't even know who he was. And I had to do a little bit of research into this next guy because it came out of nowhere and it's the 56th pick and the Chiefs took Miko Hardman. Now, this was... The, the shock of the draft, if you ask me. A, a lot of people like myself exclaimed who at their TVs when he was drafted and they had to go and do some research. But it was with good reason. Last season, Miko Hardman followed up his 2017 figures of 25 receptions for 418 yards and four DDs. He had two rushing touchdowns. But in 2018, he had 35 receptions, 543 yards and seven TDs. Now, they've drafted him because he's a comp to Tyreek Hill. And that's where it all started. Tyreek Hill news came out and they thought, oh my goodness, we've given away our first round. Now Tyreek Hill is probably never going to play football for us again. We need to go and draft the next Tyreek Hill because that worked well in our system. And lo and behold, this guy turned up. Now, don't get me wrong. He is a freak athlete with incredible speed and a very small frame. It could well be Tyreek Hill, but at Georgia, he just didn't have the production to show. Let's let's just put this all to, to one side at the moment. And people are taking Hardman way too high. People are going to take him almost as if it was Tyreek Hill. If you've read the news and think, oh, he's going to be. Now, let's, let's, he's got value in Kansas City. Let's, that's Andy Reid, one of the best offensive coaches in the league. He's going to use him. He could be good, but I just think his limited work at Georgia suggests otherwise. People have been taking, I've seen him go at number three in a rookie draft. And I just think that is absolute madness. He could be second round in rookie startups, eight to 12 in Dynasty. I'm not a huge fan of this range because there's so much we don't know, like I mentioned. But if you are drafting soon, you're going to need to weigh up his value and see if it's worth a punt. We've seen him go before Hill in drafts, which is a gamble. We don't know if Hill's ever going to play football again. But if he is, then you're going to want Hill, not Hardman. That's just how it's going to be. Hill will play football over Hardman. The only thing I think with Hardman is he's going to do the return work that Tyreek Hill did. So that gives him a little bit of extra value if your league pays for DST value on returners. Let's see. Let's keep our ears to the ground on Hill. And if he does get cut, Harmon's worth a flyer. If he doesn't, don't pick him. Uh, I'm starting to go into the unpopular camp of believing that Tyreek Hill isn't going to get cut. Interesting. I just, I just think that the NFL is notoriously a slow organization to deal with anything. And I just think that already... It's, this tape has been out for weeks. We talked about it on the podcast. It's not new information, but nothing has happened, which says to me that he will probably get a ban, four games, six games, maybe. I don't see him getting cut. I just, I don't, I don't buy it now. I just think if it was, you know, you had the Kareem Hunt thing and it was so clear what had happened. There was so much evidence. It was so clear. He got cut immediately. He was gone. See you later. The tape comes out. And there's now all this new evidence that potentially it was Crystal, the fiance that did the harming and was just using it to get a Tyreek Hill. We don't know. The proof is they'll never be able to prove it, I don't think, unless there's a video. So, and I don't think that exists. I think 
Tyreek Hill is going to be given the benefit of the doubt. And I don't necessarily agree, say I agree with that or regardless of what happens. So I just, I am not of the belief that Tyreek Hill is going to get cut. And I'm not saying whether or not I think that's right or not. It's not down to me to judge. And I don't like talking about these sorts of things, but I just am firmly in the camp of, I do not believe this guy gets cut. So I wouldn't take Harbin because I think by the time he gets used to the role, he's going to lose the job anyway. That's my personal opinion. Uh, there's no inside evidence or anything like that. It's just how I see things going from experience. For sure. Uh, I'm going to move on to a nice topic. I'm going to talk about uh, the Eagles again. I'm going to talk about JJ Osega-Whiteside. Uh, he's, a, he's a perimeter receiver who gives the Eagles exactly what they're missing. Yes, they have Jeffrey and uh, Aguilar, and now they've added Deshaun Jackson, but those first two are prone to injury and missing time. JJ, for me, is the best wide receiver in this class at contested catches. And he's going and going up and just getting the ball. He's not the quickest receiver you'll see, but he is smart when it comes to reading coverage and blocks. You won't see him much on special teams, um, but he is a real red zone threat, and that's all that really matters for fantasy. He had 63 receptions for 1,059 yards and 14 touchdowns last year, and it was 28 touchdowns in his college career. This guy knows where the end zone is. He knows how to get the ball in the end zone. He knows how to wrestle it from uh, opposing backs, and he knows how to come down with the ball. In fantasy football, he's a dream prospect. Um, I think JJ is in line for a really, really good NFL career. The biggest question I have is I don't know how much influence he's going to have in year one with those three guys in front of him. We know Jeffrey will probably miss time because he misses time every year. We don't know what Deshaun Jackson's really going to bring to this offense. We know he's going to be an over-the-top threat, and we know he's going to be you know a big, a big guy in this, but we don't know how long for. So I think it's just a little bit crowded for JJ. But I think he's going to be a solid year two, year three receiver. And I think he's going to have a great career. I just don't really trust the the year one numbers just yet. Um, he is a first round rookie draft ad for sure. Um, he's, you know, should be considered in rounds 10 to 13 of your dynasty startup. You could probably push that up to eight, to be honest, if you really, really think he's going to have that career, which I think it will. You know, he's got Carson Wentz throwing the ball to him. Um, you should probably do all right there. But you know, don't be surprised if he goes early in 10. And if you want to go the guy, uh, I wouldn't go higher than eight. I don't think that's worth more. I don't think that's worth his value, anything higher than eight. But it's worth it if you think you want to bank in his future production. I wouldn't take him um, necessarily in redraft um, unless you want to just take a flyer. I just think this year it's a bit crowded. Uh, but he could be a watch on waivers if nobody takes him because it's only going to take one or two big plays for him to get targeted more. I think he's upside potential is probably similar to what Calvin Ridley did this year in terms of number of touchdowns. But the difference is Calvin Ridley's route to goal was a lot easier because it was Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. There wasn't anyone else. Devonta Freeman went down. I mean, it all kind of went right. And I think JJ is going to need to have a very similar outcome with a couple of these receivers going down with Miles Sanders probably not being trusted in the receiving game because he's dropped a couple. Um, And then I think he'll start to really excel and get a lot of touches but you're basically banking on people getting injured and narratives that are out of the control so the process says take him as a as a flasher but plan year two year three year four to have this guy in your lineup 100 percent, love that dude not as much as i love this guy though i think this guy is my favorite receiver fantasy wise in this year's class and that's paris campbell now, he's a man that divided a ton of analysts in this year's draft process. He had most compared to Cordero Patterson. Now, that seems like an insult, but we think Patterson was just ahead of his time and coaches didn't really know how to use him. 
Campbell's the sort of player who can do it all. He's got incredible speed and burst, as he demonstrated at the Combine. There's no doubt that his 4-3-1-40 meant he was going to go in the second round. But don't be fooled that he's just a bag of tricks. Last season, Haskins was slinging him the ball, and he caught 90 balls for 1,063 yards and 12 touchdowns. It goes to show that he's got a lot going for him. And then when you stick him on the Colts roster with Andrew Luck and company, it's a scary prospect. Campbell is now easily a first-round, probably top-five rookie mock draft pick. I would consider him as the second receiver if you need receiver. And Harry's gone, but he's going to be considered 8-12 to 12 in Dynasty Startups. As previously mentioned, if you love the player, you've got to go get him. So if you want him in redraft or Dynasty, you might have to pay up for him. But he could prove small value in redraft because of where he's playing. So late round pick in redraft. Let's, let's be honest, it's the first time that Andrew Luck has had a really good second receiver. And this guy's been drafted to replace T.Y. Hilton when he gives up the cleats, hangs his cleats up in a few years' time. And T.Y. Hilton is going to command the best defender to mark him. So when you've got Paris Campbell out there as well, Bosch, plug him in and take the upside if you've got a safe floor. Defo for sure. So I'm going to take the 62nd pick in the draft, which was the Arizona Cardinals who traded with Miami and sent Josh Rosen for to get this guy. His name is Andy Isabella. This uh, guy's rise in this whole draft process was just incredible. Uh, Coming out of UMass, um, the biggest thing about Isabella is his numbers. As a sophomore, he caught 62 passes for 801 yards and seven touchdowns. As a junior, it was 65 passes for 1,020 yards and 10 touchdowns. And he also rushed one in that year. In his senior year, he really took off 102 receptions for 1,698 yards and 13 touchdowns, wow. as well as also a rushing, t- a rushing touchdown. Uh, his biggest flaw is, is due to his size. He's not the most physical, uh, and that means on the outside, he won't win a ton of contested catches, uh, but he can play the slot to great effect. I mean, he could be very effective in the air raid offense that Cliff Kingsbury promises to bring. Uh, he has a very similar range of outcomes to that man, Paris Campbell, you just talked about in terms of where to draft. ADPs are very, very similar. Uh, the difference is taking your chance on the worst offense last year in the NFL under their new leadership. Paris Campbell is a, is a safer prospect to me because you know what you're going to get with Indy, with Andrew Luck, with uh, T.Y. Hilton, with the scheme there. You know what Frank Reich is going to do based on last year. Whereas with Andy Isabella, it's a slightly more uh, chaotic way of trying to plot the rise to success because you've got a new head coach with a new offensive coordinator, um, with a new quarterback and new wide receivers in that system. The only continuity parts of that are... Uh, David Johnson and Larry Fitzgerald. So I think with Isabella, it is going to be a bit of a gamble, but I think he's definitely going to be worth that investment for the right price. Don't overpay for Isabella. I would overpay for Campbell before I'd overpay for Isabella. But I think Isabella is going to be an effective and useful back if Cliff Kingsbury gets it right in Arizona. Yeah, for sure. And let's be fair, the Browns were pretty terrible two years ago and they weren't too bad with a new head coach and quarterback last year after Matey Boy got the tin tack and Baker Mayfield came in. So there's a chance that Arizona aren't as bad as they were last year. Right, I'm going to move on to the last pick of the second round, draft darling DK Metcalf. I'd argue that DK is the hardest prospect in the breakdown we've done so far to evaluate. He's got everything you would ever want in a wide receiver. If you were drawing a big, strong, athletic wide receiver, Metcalf would be the closest thing to your sketches if you could draw. Otherwise, you're drawing a stick man and no one needs that, a wide receiver. Yeah, he fell down to the last pick of the second round. Why? injuries probably play a large part of this and when Ethan Turner was on the podcast he highlighted DK Metcalf's health concerns 
that he did not see him as a first-round prospect. Well, well done, Ethan. Your evaluation was spot on once again. DK's numbers, due to injury, were not the best. Had 26 receptions for 569 yards and five touchdowns, being the return before a serious neck injury ruined his season. That being said, he's got blazing quick speed, 4-3-3-40 and tremendous power. His three-cone time caused people to question his movement and change of direction skills. Did somebody mention the Titanic butt? It really does divide opinion, and there's no doubting his potential and a sky-high ceiling. You add him to that Seahawks with Russell Wilson, and there are worse landing spaces, but we would add caution to him and make him a 12th to 15th round pick at highest in dynasty startups, late second round in rookie drafts, and I would say he's got very little value in redraft leagues. Now, Murph, we've done it again. We know, Rush Nation, that you appreciate when Murph and I go off on tangents and start talking, but we've only managed to make it to the end of the second round. The third round, I think we should leave and do it justice till the next show, because otherwise this is going to be like crazy long. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we can do. I'm just looking at, I think, yeah, let's do that. Um, The one thing I'd say on on Metcalf, this profile was uh, written slightly before the Baldwin news came out. I mean, you know, we didn't think Baldwin was going to play much, but it is worth considering that his value maybe has gone up slightly. But also the value of other people's perception on him has also gone up a lot. So you'll see him go much higher than the numbers that we've quoted. It's down to you. Do you want to take the risk in that scheme and go from there? Uh, or do you want to stick it out? So I I personally wouldn't. I There, there are plenty of other guys I prefer over DK Metcalf, um, such as Paris Campbell, Andy Isabella, that we've just talked about, JJ Ortega-Whiteside. I do think actually DK Metcalf probably becomes slightly fantasy relevant now in year one because there isn't much other than Tyler Lockett. There isn't much in his way. So I think uh, he could be worth a, a, we've just said he's probably very little value in redraft. He probably has a little bit of redraft value, but as a flyer, 12th to 15th round, maybe. Absolutely. Um, we can, yeah, I was going to say is we can cut here, um, and we can do this next time. And I say next time we've got a show Tuesday where we're doing a a live mock draft with uh, podcast favorite, Rich King. Yes, we are. Richie boy. Welcome back. If you listen to this beforehand, if you don't, we'll know. And then you're in big trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, for sure. We also have a great guest on uh, Tuesday as well. Um, someone who is representing the NFL in the US for the UK, uh, not on the field, but through the power of words. Um, so I'm looking forward to, to talking to him and Texans fans. Uh, those of you that are Texans fans who listen in, he'll be uh, well worth listening to um, to give you some additional insight as a little treat on the Texans. Perfect. Right, Murph. That was our mic drop. It's been fun. Rush Nation, we would really appreciate the five-star reviews on iTunes. Don't forget there are seven patches still left. Please leave us a little one, good or bad, but make sure it's five stars. (laughs) We would like to know what you are enjoying about the podcast, what you're not enjoying about the podcast, and what you want us to include. Any guests you want on, we'll try and get hold of. We've got some absolute bangers in the pipeline. But Murph, until Tuesday, this has been fun, mate. I will speak to you real soon. Yes, definitely, mate. Looking forward to it. And uh, we'll get the article up on site, and we will launch the temporary website Monday. Full show. Right, Rush Nation. This has been a pleasure, but don't forget... Keep rushing.
HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PREP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive, who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm gonna do this to protect myself. Do it for them, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 